Hello, and welcome to our quarterly podcast on financial transactions and transfer pricing. During this podcast, we have a discussion with specialists of the PwC network on the latest developments. And my guests today are Dan Pivus, that's the person with the English accents. We have Bob Ritter with the American accents. And we have Ed Bagdasharian with the Australian accents. And I'm David Ledure. I'm uh, the guy with the strange Belgian accents. So the topic today is the end of LIBOR. The topic is quite hot, as we will see later on, the, the deadlines are coming uh, nearby. And while corporate should take into account many aspects uh, to the end of LIBOR, like operational and system readiness, the discussion today will uh, focus on tax and transfer pricing aspects. So uh, Dan, if we take a step back, can you sketch uh, what this end of LIBOR is? Why do you have it? What is it? When will it occur? Yeah, sure. Thank you, David. So LIBOR has been long established as one of the primary benchmarks for setting term interest rates, and it's been used as a reference rate in a wide variety of arm's length intercompany agreements and external agreements. However, and you'll have heard some background, no doubt, in the marketplace about the cessation of LIBOR more generally, but on the 5th of March 2021, the Financial Conduct Authority announced that the majority of LIBOR term rates will either cease uh, to be provided by the administrator or will cease to be uh, representative by the end of December 2021. Therefore, they're going to be replaced with a new benchmark risk-free rate um, for each of the relevant currencies. Okay. And the old terminology was quite simple. You said the currency, then you say LIBOR, and then you say the maturity, like USD, LIBOR, one month. Uh, but it appears that the, the central banks or the regulators have put a marketing team in place to pick out new names. So can you provide some, some example of those names? Yeah, of course, as you say, there's not one simple replacement, unfortunately, for LIBOR. So what we're seeing is a bit of a plethora of different replacement rates across the market. So uh, in the UK, uh, GBP LIBOR will be replaced with Sonia. In the US, will be replaced with SOFA and a euro replaced with ESTA. So some different definitions to get used to. And it's similar across other currencies as well. There are similar replacement rates and new definitions to get used to. Yep. Okay. So sometimes my wife asks me who's Sonia and Esther because I'm always talking about her. Um, so the deadline is uh, the 1st of Jan uh, 2022. So that's uh, more or less within six months. Uh, but I've heard there would be an exception for uh, USD. So Bob, can you put this into context, please? Yeah, thanks, David. So there was a LIBOR relief statement that was issued by the Fed on November 30th of 2020. Uh, a couple key points to mention from that is that while there is an extension on the publication of certain LIBOR tenors, uh, and, and most of them will continue through June 30th of 2023, uh, a couple of the LIBORs, the one week and the two week, will cease as of the end of this year, so as of December 31st, 2021. I think a couple important points to note uh, as a result of that, I mean, the, the, why, why do they do this, right? And I think they did it to allow most legacy US, like USD LIBOR contracts to mature. Um, just to ensure there weren't any major uh, experience of disruptions. Um, a couple other points that new contracts entered into before December 31st, 2021 should utilize a reference rate other than LIBOR or have robust fallback language that includes a clearly defined alternative reference rate after the discontinuation. And another key point is that even though they have this uh, a bit of relief that any new contract that's entered into after December 31st, 2021, so 2022 and beyond, should utilize an alternative reference rate. And I think just importantly, and it was in the news uh, within the last week, but um, there has been a, uh, a view on the U.S. side that banks aren't moving quickly enough to transition away from LIBOR. And so uh, the regulators are pushing 
uh, banks to um, try and, and do so more quickly. And so I think we'll probably see this trend and maybe more globally, but I know on the U.S. side, that, that's been some recent news that came out. And you'll see uh, Janet Yellen in the news for that. Okay, thank you. Um, while the old LIBOR rates were quite similar in terms of uh, characteristics, the new reference gate can be more diverse. Um, Ed, can you explain some key difference between the, the old LIBOR rates and the new reference rates? Sure, David. If you look at the new reference rates, they're a combination of either backward-looking or forward-looking curves, secured or unsecured, some overnight, some have broader term structures. And you really contrast that to LIBOR, which is a forward-looking term reference rate determined by a panel of banks, whereas the replacement rates are risk-free rates and, as mentioned, capture either forward or backward-looking curves determined by the market over a reference period. Now, the fact that these new reference rates, replacement rates do not price in either bank credit risk or liquidity premium for term structure like LIBOR means that all things being equal, these rates will inherently be lower than, than the LIBOR rates today. So what is important is in order to maintain like for like pricing, there needs to be credit adjustment spreads and other term structured liquidity spreads, which need to be embedded in these curves in order to make sure there's no shift in value upon conversion. Okay, so uh, credit risk and liquidity, premium, these are some uh, two important differences. I've also read that uh, for some of the new reference rates, between them, you might have some differences and, and some are secured, some are other secured. So also, even there, you can find some differences. So, Bob, can you give uh, a helicopter view on some uh, tax or transfer pricing consequences of this uh, conversion to the new reference rates? Yeah, a couple of things come to mind, David. One is just watch out for a change in the terms, including the yield. So, as that spread is going to be different, uh, can be a triggering event. So, uh, for those people familiar with the U.S., you can hear it sometimes called a 1001 event. And then, depending on you know the, the magnitude of that uh, change, can result in a significant modification. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later in the podcast. And, and second, and, and importantly, you still need to price the revised margin over the new base rate. So, you know, it's kind of putting this into context for people. You know, if, if you had an all-in rate, which included a, a LIBOR base plus a certain spread uh, and price it at arm's length, then if that, you know, if you're going to do a transition and that base rate changes, then obviously if the spread were to stay the same, uh, the all-in rate will vary. And so just things to consider as we're thinking about how that uh, could change the overall yield. Okay. Now, in, in general, tax authorities are quite silent on the topic, uh, but I think the IRS and HMRC, so uh, US and UK, are the exception they have published something. Um, Bob, can you continue with what IRS mentioned on the end of LIBOR and the tax consequences? Yeah, and I'll speak to the IRS side, and I think the UK is, is fairly similar in, in this view and the guidance. So. In October 2019, the IRS issued guidance to assist with transition for LIBOR uh, and the why. So this was issued because the ARC requested guidance from the Treasury Department on tax issues associated with elimination of, you know, with the LIBORs and, and transition to other rates such as SOFR. So because the new reference rate is different from LIBORs, uh, you know, that they're intended to replace, it's expected that contracts will generally provide for a change in the spreads. Uh, or, or a one-time change in value. And, and under U.S. tax rules, this can have you know, very bad consequences, and this change in yield can result in what we call a significant modification, which can be a resulting uh, taxable exchange of the debt instrument. 
So the guidance provided a list of potential you know, qualified rates, uh, including SOFOR for USD, you know, SONIA for GBP and, and other sorts of currencies as a replacement. However, it has a couple things to consider. So the potential qualified rate is only qualified rate if the firm market value of the debt instrument is substantially equivalent before or after the, uh, the modification. And so one thing to know is they, they do note the fair market value of the debtor instrument may be determined by any reasonable uh, quote unquote valuation method. There's a couple uh, safe harbors that they have in there. And I think most importantly, since we're focused on transfer pricing is that for related parties, there's a safe harbor with respect to the value equivalence requirement that it includes. And it's a satisfied as the historic average of the rate is within 25 basis points of the rate that it was replacing. So I think that just a couple of things to consider. So I think you kind of have to walk through the analysis and, and do some of those steps to kind of, um, you know, as long as you do certain things, you know, th there should be a, a bit of relief for taxpayers, but you need to kind of go through each part of the analysis to make sure that you haven't tripped on a significant modification. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, the safe harbor rates is an important one. I think that quite some countries have a safe harbor rates uh, with reference to LIBOR, so that has to be monitored. So. If we convert from the old library rate to the new uh, overnight reference rate, uh, we have to make a, a credit adjustment to the credit margin. So uh, that's what X explained before. It's it's basically because the new reference rates have a, a lower credit risk and less liquidity risk. So, so, so in other words, if you had in the past uh, a GBP LIBOR plus 1%, uh, for example, if you convert to Sonia, uh, Sonia will be lower and you want to end up with more or less the same rates. The 1% have to, uh, to be increased. Now, the new reference rates are new. There is there's not really a history of those new reference rates. So it's it's going to be difficult to, to quantify that today. Maybe within five years will be an easy one, but today you have a lack of information. So um is is that a fair statement and how do you deal with that then? Yeah, that's fair, David. I think there's a couple of things to factor in here. So if we look at the replacement rates, quite rightly, as you say, they're, they're only starting to be used, particularly in the borrowing market and also the derivatives market as well. As that um, kind of use increases, we are going to be able to utilise those as benchmark sources going forward. But as the market currently looks, there's not sufficient information there to build the benchmarking reports and studies that we would need to create the analyses to support our intercompany rates. As a result, what you're left with is almost a couple of options. You either have to look at your existing credit margins and margins which exist over current LIBOR, and then utilize what you and Ed have alluded to earlier, which is your credit adjustment spreads. Uh, and there's various sources to look at there. You've got ISDA published credit adjustment spreads back in March when the announcement was made, but banks typically aren't utilizing those as the reference point. And so you have to look elsewhere. Um, we have to look at different market sources or potentially calculate those credit adjustment spreads. So that's option one. Of course, as we get then towards next year, when the rates are being utilized, what we're also expecting to see is potentially synthesized curves and other information becoming available. Uh, so again, there's maybe an option there if you're looking to move away from your existing credit margins and not need to apply a credit adjustment spread. But we're not there's not a great deal of that information yet, even in the synthetic markets. And so that's something we're gonna to have to watch for and adapt for over the next few months. Okay. So so basically if you convert today, you should base that on market information, market practices today, which might be different within one year because information will be different, but it's it's a matter of documenting uh, your position today and that is the best what you could do. So the new reference rates are only overnight rates, uh, while the LIBOR, you had different terms. You had the overnight, you had the one day, one week, uh, up to 12 months. 
Um, so if, if you want to use a reference rate with a longer maturity at, is that still possible? And what are the solutions? Sure, David. And as mentioned by Dan, there are different various number of reference rates across different geographies and it is changing with time. And there are a number of different solutions out there, depending on the data you have available around really taking overnight rates and making them fit for purpose for the tenure you're looking at. So one common example is to take overnight rates and compound them to really replicate a longer term structure. But once again, I do stress that is one solution. And uh, as a working group here at PwC, we've been thinking about other potential solutions um, which can achieve the same desired effect. At the same time, it is a moving target. There will be other potential sources in the market which will arise to replicate uh, longer term structures. And at the same time, we know just speaking to external stakeholders that there are multiple um, reserve banks, financial institutions, and other similar working groups that are actively trying to come up with other working solutions as well. So the short story is it's not, you know, one size fits all. Compounding overnight rates is an option, but it is very much watch this space. Great. And then we, to continue with Duet, uh, we hear a lot about uh, the new reference rate for European currencies and for USD. Uh, but less for other currencies and other regions. Is, is this actually a hot topic in Asia-Pac? It is a hot topic, or it certainly is becoming a hot topic in Asia-Pac, David. And one of the functions of that is the reserves held by a lot of the financial institutions across Asia, which will be impacted by this change. So there definitely is a lot of focus. And you look across Asia's stance today, and there are quite a few different reference rates. And just to rattle off a few, you know, the Bank of Japan has the toner rate, Bank of Thailand, the Thor rate, the Monetary Authority of Singapore has the SOAR rate. And I can't leave any conversation not talking about Australia. We have the Ionia rate here as well. So I know Dan Snap mentioned a number of different reference rates outside of Asia, but we are getting similar traction across the region. And I expect very similar developments and thinking from an Asia Pacific perspective as well. Okay, so a bunch of new acronyms also for, uh, for that region. Okay, but that leads us to the end of the discussion. So thanks for uh, your contributions. Um, maybe some takeaways I derive from the discussion. Uh, first one is groups uh, normally uh, should have a uh, transition strategy already in place. As it's clear from this discussion, you should ensure that taxes are on the table because there are quite some tax aspects to uh, consider also here. A second one is uh, for the credit adjustments. That's an important one. So you should have uh, good uh, supporting documentation for uh, for that quantification based on market information today. So when you make these uh, actual adjustments, um, and as the market in full development, this is something that should continue to be monitored. So to be always uh, in line with uh, the latest market information and market practices. And, and the last one is, uh, if you have existing loan agreements in place, you should uh, foresee some for a transition. So what's called a fallback language. So with this, I want to thank again, my two speakers, as well as the, the listeners for uh, checking in. And I also invite you to the, the new podcast, which will be recorded soon. And normally it should be on sustainable financing and transfer pricing. So thank you and see you soon. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details.
This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.